Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Um, so this morning, I uh, want to kind of take you through a journey through the Word um, and just kind of share my heart with you about some current events that have taken place um, that have really impacted me. And, um, and I, and I, I, I just want to address it because I kind of want to bring us all into a conversation about it. Um, recently there are two, um, leaders in the body of Christ who have, um, uh, one said that his faith was failing, um, and the other said that he renounced his faith. Um, uh, these two, men have um, a lot of influence in the body of Christ and have a lot of people that follow them. And so I wanted to um, talk about that this morning because my heart is just really um, mourning, as we all should be, about the condition of these two men and, um, and, the, and what's happening to them. In First Thessalonians and First Timothy, it says that at the end of the, at the end of time, that there would be a great apostasy. There would be an apostasy. An apostasy means that there would be a falling away from the faith, and that people would begin to believe in the doctrines of demons, and they would fall into deception. And so I wanted to talk about that because it I've really been wrestling with this and really just taking it to the Lord, not judging these men, but it's really grieving over um, what's happening to them. And so as um, your pastor, I feel that it is my obligation to speak to these things because um, I'm called by God to guard you. And uh, just make sure that we're all on a firm foundation and we're all steady, right? Because in the end of times, we've got two things going on. We've got the wheat and the chaff growing up together. So the, 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 the light is going to get brighter because the dark is going to get darker, right? Um, you know, a, a, a lamp can be burning in a room that is lit. And you can't really see the brightness of that lamp, but you turn the lights out and all of a sudden that lamp gives light to the whole room. And, um, and so I want to talk to you about these two men and our, just what's happening and what I believe is happening, what's been loosed on the earth. Um, here was some of the questions that they were asking. Why could a good God let bad things happen? I mean, the question of the ages, right? Why do bad things happen to good people, right? The second, they were both questioning publicly God's goodness. If God is good, then why X, Y, and Z? If God is good, why wouldn't he bless me? If God is good, why is he taking so long? If God is good, why aren't my promises coming to pass? If God is good, why did I lose all my money? If God is good, why is my daughter still in a wheelchair and suffering every day in excruciating pain? Why hasn't my good God healed her? 
The list goes on and on. The list goes on and on. Why hasn't my husband come? Why hasn't my wife come? Why are good things happening to other people who are not good people? Why are my promises being fulfilled by other people? Why did my husband divorce me? Are you guys catching on what I'm throwing out? And in this struggle comes a battle. And in the battle comes if we say, oh, wait, wait, wait. Look at the list of all of the things God is not doing. Look at the list of everything God is not in my life. And if I begin to sow myself into these places and I begin to focus on what the enemy is saying about God, then I begin to come into agreement with the enemy and I become in, into agreement with the accusation that God is not good. And so that's where that depression, discouragement, and heart sickness comes from. That the body of Christ is so prevalent. It's so prevalent in the body of Christ. And, and, and it's like, wait, okay, I want to say these things, but I want to say that I'm happy and joyful. But the truth is, is that I'm depressed and I'm worried. And so, so you've got the body of Christ and we're supposed to be being light, right? We're supposed to be setting the captives free and, and, and taking the harvest and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm so depressed that I can't get up in the morning. Can I get an amen? Am I speaking to anyone in this room? Okay, good. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 2. The name Job actually means to repent, which is interesting. <clears throat> so here's Job, this great guy who is a righteous man and who has this amazing life. And um, he is a leader in his community and, um, and other people look up to him. And so uh, uh, hardship hit him. Um, in chapter 1, he loses all of his property and he loses his children. You know, when you lose your money and your kids, when you get into a perfect storm and everything and you're hemmed in on every side, you're just like, man. And you know, when it happens the first time, there's something in you that rises up and you're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm to worship God. But then when it happens again in that place where you're weak from the first attack, that's when it gets hard. It really gets hard. And so Job, here we are in chapter 2, and chapter 2 starts off with this conversation that's happening in heaven. And by the way, this conversation is still happening in heaven, but you can put your name where Job's name is. So, uh, verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan uh, came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. 
Well, that's terrifying. Uh, Verse 3, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So, um, poor Job. Um, so let's look at this because a couple of things are going on. First, Job is honored by God for his fear of God. He's honored by God because God said, this is a man that fears me. Therefore, he is upright in all of his ways. And, uh, and this is what kept him from accusing God of not being good in the midst of his trial the first time. And, and, and Satan was like, look, the only reason that he did that is because you bless him because of stuff you do for him. But, but, but if you strike his bones this next time, watch what happens. And so Satan's objective in bringing harm to you, to mankind, is to get you to accuse God. The doctrine of demons, that God is not good. God God didn't say, did God really say that, Eve? God is withholding something from you. He's withholding your promise. He's withholding things. Therefore, if you'll get into agreement with me, we'll have a pity party. How many of you love those? Boy, those feel good, don't they? And then you go around and you tell a bunch of other people about how sad you are, and then you get them into your pity party, and it gets even better. And listen, I'm not making light of hardship. It's a real thing. It is a real thing, and we need to counsel with one another. We need to seek prayer for one another. But navel-gazing was never something that God commanded us to do. There's one thing that we're supposed to be looking at, and that one thing is the desire of all nations. Okay, y'all still like me? All right, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 3340. And I want to talk about something that I feel like um, I want to hit this in Jeremiah because it's really a promise from the Lord because it, it speaks to what he was saying about Job. Um, Jeremiah thirty three forty, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. And so there is the, the, the fear of the Lord is really the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what he's saying is going to guard you and protect you. And it's not that you're scared of God, but that there is a reverence and an acknowledgement of who God is, of who God is. Turn in your Bibles I told you we were going to go on a journey through the word. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 44. Okay, I don't hear pages turning. Go ahead, Ezekiel 44. Just swish around your Bible. Okay, your smartphone. 
Um, Okay, we're going to start in verse 10. And the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, say idols, they shall bear their iniquity, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into my holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations, which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. And so stop there for a minute. And so he's saying that there is a priesthood that actually is has been seeking after idols. They have been seeking after their own um, advancement and their own people. And so what they've been doing is it's today you would equate this with um, consumer Christianity. Consumer an entertainment type of Christianity. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I'm actually going to put my judgment on them so that they are going to serve people, but they will not serve me. Think about that for a minute. Think about the idols that we have in our lives that have taken us away from actually worshiping God. We're worshiping the things that God can do for us instead of actually worshiping God. We're worshiping the promise and you know you're worshiping the promise if you're, if you're wrestling with God and you're always sad about the fact that the promise hasn't come to pass. Instead of worshiping being the God of the promise. And so then he goes on to say this, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who keep kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near my table they, to minister to me. He says this over and over, to minister to me, to minister to me. They shall come, keep my charge. In other words, words, I will give them authority and it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on the linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their head and linen trousers on their body and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. So in other words, they are going to be pure, they are going to be holy, they are going to come near me, and they are not going to be sweating. They are not going to be worried. They are not going to be in angst. They are not going to be angry and upset and and wringing their hands. There will be no sweat in them. Because why? 
because of the love that they have for me. And that is their first priority. That they have been found worthy and they did not give themselves to idols, but they gave themselves to ministering to me. Amen. And so he's saying here that there is a type of priesthood that he separated and he divided up these two different priests. And, and I just have a tremendous mourning in my heart because he's saying that these consumer entertainment-based Christians, that they are seeking a purpose-driven life. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says that God called his people out of slavery and out of Egypt and out of bondage so that we could seek our purpose. He said, I am calling you out of bondage. I'm calling you out of Egypt so that you can worship me. And as you worship me, you will find the truth of who you really are. Therefore, the fullness of your identity can be realized and you can begin to go forth and do great exploits in my name and for my glory. Now, what I'm not saying is that you don't have a purpose. You do have a purpose. God has a purpose and a plan for you, but it comes through him. It comes through him. It comes through him. You cannot have it any other way. If it comes in any other way, you will be under that judgment. I'm telling you, there's only one way. It is through Christ. We go through Christ. We go through intimacy. We go through love. It's all about love. It was always all about love. And you will not be able to stand in the days to come. What will you do when they start killing your family members because they believe in Jesus? Will you declare his goodness in that hour? What will you do when you don't have any food to eat? Will you curse God or will you say, my God is good no matter what my circumstances? We have to start realizing that it's all about the house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of love. My house shall be called a house of intimacy, a place where we connect, a place where we don't just go with a list. Can you, I really need these things, but where we really begin to connect in love and intimacy. When, when, um, you know, we said in Song of Solomon, I loved that, that we lean on our beloved as we're coming up out of the wilderness. Why? Because in the wilderness, what happens? You're in a wilderness because there's a pressing that's going on because he's like, hey, I want you. I want you to come near to me. And a lot of us have to go through persecution before we'll actually hit our knees and actually begin to pray. So he's going to have his church by one way or another, prayer or persecution. You choose. I choose prayer. It's a lot less painful. Right? So this place of love, this place where he said, I'm, 
Okay, so it's a banqueting table that I've set before you. It's a table of wine. It's a table of intimacy. It's a table of love. And so you come to that place, and you guys have heard me say this over and over and over. I basically have one message. Get in prayer. You know? Fall in love. Fall in love. And, you know, so the question should be not, God, how are you going to get me to where I'm going? But, God, how teach me to pray. Will you teach me to pray? Will you teach me how can I touch your heart in a way that moves your heart? How can I pour out my love in a way that touches your heart? How can I give you all that I have in my heart? You know, and so we need to start asking questions that, 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 that intimacy, um, that'll help to increase intimacy. When I, when I go to dinner with John, we went to dinner last night. And Yaku and Sarah were at the same restaurant. It was awesome. We always see each other at that restaurant. Um, but we're sitting there and we're eating. I did not go out to dinner with my husband for food. I went out to dinner with him so that I could hear about his day. And, and, and I could hear about his heart. And I could, we could talk about things about our lives. And, and, and I could know him more. And I discovered these things about him. Mostly it's me asking him, like, do you remember the first time you fell in love with me? <laughs> and he's like, um, uh, yes. <laughs> now, every man and woman, they've, uh, you know, we all realize what that question is. But, but honestly, what am I saying? I'm a bride saying to my bridegroom, do you remember the first time that I caught your eye? These are questions that we need to start asking. I just want to challenge you to let your heart start talking. Because your mind is doing a lot of talking in the place of prayer. You know, and, 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 and I want to know what his heart is saying when I'm sitting there with him. And so this place of the banqueting table, the banquet of love, is really the place where the Lord wants us to go. You know? And then through that, he's going to say, oh, by the way, let's talk about this because I know this is really on your heart. I know that this is really bothering you. And watch this. Because of love, because we spend so much time together, watch me move on that situation. And you're not even going to have to do anything. Yeah. I mean, John didn't talk about this, but, but, but you know, we sowed money. We didn't sow money in a vacuum. We sowed money and we sowed love. We sowed time. You know, he just been, he spends hours with the Lord before he goes to work. And he's got a day just like the rest of you. But he's like, I, I just have to be with him. And for those of you where if, if this is hard for you, if it's hard to go into a place of prayer, if you're like, man, it's just so dry. It just feels so dry. I want to challenge you something. I want to challenge you that your heart is not dead. That you need to start asking those questions how can I love you, God? How can I love you? How can I give you my love? How can I pour out that costly perfume on your heart and begin to ask questions that are questions of intimacy, not questions of, hey, can you put money in my account? You know? 
The money in your account's going to happen, but it goes through this place of connection, right? Have you ever had one of those children in their family that are, you know, they don't want to spend any time with you, but boy, when it comes to, if they need something, you get a phone call, right? You're like, uh, mom, dad, I'm out of money. You need to, you know, but they, they haven't talked to you for a whole year. You're like, oh, wow, this feels weird. Okay, so this is just kind of what I'm feeling. Uh, worship team, would you come on up? You know, um, in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 30, the Lord was having the Ark of the Covenant made, um, and he was having um, his artisans carve these cherubim, and the wings were covering the mercy seat. And You know, it's in this place of love where we meet him, in this place where he is seated, where we meet him. And his mercies are fresh and new, and they're abundant. And we remember that he hasn't forgotten us. And we remember that even though the things, all these problems and, and now all these circumstances and all these heartaches and all of these long sufferings and all of these things that haven't happened, we begin to see them through love and love covers, it covers, it covers us. And then all of a sudden we, we begin to be able to breathe again and run again and live again, even in the midst of great heartache and overcome again. And so the, the day can go by with joy and people will look at us saying, how is it possible that you're living in such a hard season, but yet you're prospering in that place because of love, because I've been covered in love, because I'm alive in love. And so I just want to, I just want to come before that mercy seat right now. Because he is good and his mercy endures forever. He is good and his mercy endures forever. Why don't you stand with me? Let's just declare this. Over everything that caused our heart to hurt. You know what they are because the list is long. You live anywhere today. You live in the earth today. And your heart is broken over something. And so just repeat after me. Let's just do this together. I'm just going to keep saying it. And you just need to keep saying it. You are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good, God, and your mercy endures forever. Just go ahead and begin to kick the, the enemy in the teeth. You are good, God, and your mercy endures forever. You're good over my loneliness, and your, your mercy endures forever. You're good over my finances, and your mercy endures forever. You are good, God. 
over my broken down car. You are good, God, over my singleness. You are good, God, over my sickness. You are good, God. You're good. I don't care what the enemy says about you. I declare today that you are good. 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 Even though my heart is broken, I declare that you are good. Even though I am divorced, I declare that you are good. Even though my heart is broken, I declare that you are good. Even though my promises haven't come to pass, I declare that you are good. We will not, and we refuse to let the enemy steal the truth of who you are, God. And we declare today, and we make a decision today to stand on the truth of who you are. Of who you are. No matter what it looks like, we declare heaven and earth, our God is good. 